Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy-to-digest information. And now, here's today's episode. Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast. My name is Nisa Fraser, and I'm a pediatric resident, third year at LACUSC Medical Center. Today, I'll be going through a case from the Pediatric Morning Report book, case 43, about a 10-year-old male with fast breathing. Let's get started. So a 10-year-old male presents for evaluation after one week of cough and rhinorrhea, nasal congestion, and low-grade fever. In the past two days, he has developed a productive cough and fever to 103 degrees Fahrenheit. He says that there are other kids at school who are sick with colds, but his parents note that he is more tired, eating and drinking less, and breathing faster. His parents state that he is otherwise healthy and does not have any chronic illnesses. He has occasional headaches, stomach aches, and emesis. The parents have given him antipyretics and cough medicine over the course of this illness. They are concerned and bring the patient to the emergency department. So what are the pertinent positives and negatives from this history, and how do they help in identifying the problem in this patient? So the pertinent positives for this patient include the symptoms of an upper respiratory infection that has developed over the course of a week and is now worsening. The patient had a a decrease in appetite and fluid intake and in energy as well, as well as tachypnea, which have made the parents decide to take him to the emergency department. Pertinent negatives include the absence of diarrhea, making acute viral gastroenteritis less likely. So why is this patient breathing faster? The neurologic, respiratory, musculoskeletal, cardiovascular, and hematologic systems can affect a patient's respiratory rate. Stimuli that affect respiratory rate is obtained from chemoreceptors, lung-stretched receptors, irritant receptors, and juxtacapillary receptors, also joint muscle receptors. In our patient's situation, because his illness may now be a lower respiratory tract infection, fevers, tachypnea, and worsening of his upper respiratory infection. Tachypnea is a way for the body's attempt to match the metabolic demand for oxygenation. In our patient's case, the central and peripheral chemoreceptors play more of a role due to the hypoxemia. Here's a clinical pearl. Hypoxemia can be caused by dysfunctions in oxygen uptake, delivery, and utilization. Pulmonary mechanisms for impaired oxygen uptake include hypoventilation, diffusion impairment, pulmonary shunting, and ventilation-perfusion mismatch. Impairment in oxygen transport to tissues includes causes such as anemia and carbon monoxide poisoning. 
Cyanide poisoning interferes with oxygen utilization in the tissue's mitochondrial cytochrome C oxidase, thereby preventing the formation of adenosine triphosphate, or ATP. So let's discuss how the central and peripheral chemoreceptors function. Central chemoreceptors in the medulla respond to the change in pH of the cerebral spinal fluid. If the central chemoreceptors detect a decrease in pH, prompt increase in respiratory rate is triggered. Carbon dioxide readily crosses the blood-brain barrier due to its lipid solubility. When CO2 combines with water in the CSF, the resulting hydrogen ions act directly on the central chemoreceptors in the medulla. This means that an increase in partial pressure of CO2 leads to hyperventilation, which then leads to returning the arterial PCO2 to within normal range. Peripheral chemoreceptors located in the carotids and aortic bodies detect changes in the partial pressure of oxygen, PCO2, and hydrogen iron concentrations. Although the chemoreceptors in the aortic bodies respond to a decrease in PO2 or an increase in PCO2, the carotid chemoreceptors respond directly to an increase in hydrogen ions. So let's discuss another clinical pearl. The bicarbonate buffer system is a balance of ions that maintains pH so there is an appropriate metabolic function. The enzyme carbonic anhydrase catalyzes the reactions for the conversion of CO2 and H2O to carbonic acid in human tissues in which there is a high concentration of CO2. Carbonic acid readily dissociates to hydrogen ions and bicarbonate ions. In organs with a low carbon dioxide, such as the lungs and kidneys, this reaction is reversed. Another clinical pearl, the Henderson-Hasselbalch equation describes the relationship between arterial pH and the bicarbonate buffer system. So pH equals pK plus log of bicarbonate over 0.03 times PCO2 level. This is where pK refers to the characteristic equilibrium constant for bicarbonate buffering system ions. The solubility constant for CO2 in the blood, 0.03 millimoles per liters per millimeters of mercury, is used to express the partial pressure of CO2. The equation indicates hypoventilation and increased PCO2 can lead to acidemia, or decreased pH. So let's get back to our patient. In the emergency department, the patient had a normal blood pressure for age. Pulse rate is 125 beats per minute, respiratory rate is 35 breaths per minute, and oxygen saturation is 88% on room air. His temperature is 102.6 degrees Fahrenheit. So what are the concerning or worrisome signs to look for in this patient? The general inspection of our patient would need to include an assessment of his level of alertness. A depressed mental state suggests severe hypoxia and may be a harbinger for acute respiratory failure. Other concerning signs would include increased work of breathing, cyanosis, and poor perfusion. So what does the respiratory exam consist of? After the general inspection, if the patient were stable, you would want to inspect palpate, percuss, and auscultate the torso. During inspection, look at the patient's posture, use of accessory muscles, and expansion of the chest wall, and note if there are any abnormalities of the chest surface. By inspecting, you can assess the depth and inspiratory to expiratory ratio of each breathing cycle. A normal cycle is one to two. A normal lung would have a resonant percussion note, or low pitch, and auscultation allows you to hear adventitious noises such as wheezing, ronchi, and crackles. Here's another clinical pearl. Other percussion notes include a hyperresonant percussion note. Lower than normal pitch is heard like in those with emphysema. Or dull percussion note. Higher than normal pitch, similar to percussing the liver. And also a flat percussion note. 
This is higher than normal pitch heard in those with an effusion. The air movements responsible for the production of breath sounds are dependent on the size of the airway. There are three types of movement that might take place during the tracheobronchial tree. One, laminal airflow, which is characteristic of a small peripheral airway. It is slow and referred to as a silent movement. Two, vorticose airflow is faster and thought of as a mixed type of flow because it may resemble both laminal and turbulent airflows. And lastly, turbulent airflow, which is very rapid, noisy, and complex, and is more typical of larger airways. So what findings or information would help you differentiate an upper airway disease from a lower airway disease? The upper airway, or extrathoracic area, consists of the nasal passages through the pharynx to the vocal cords, whereas the lower airway, or intrathoracic area, is composed of the lung parenchyma, bronchi, and alveoli. Strider would imply an upper airway process. Signs of a lower airway infection include tachypnea, decreased breath sounds, crackles, ronchi, over the area of the consolidation, which can sound dull during percussion. Another clinical pearl, strider is a long, loud, high-pitched inspiratory sound that always indicates upper airway obstruction, best heard at the neck region. The extrathoracic region is exposed to atmospheric pressure. When there is edema, air travels through a smaller area thereby increasing the velocity. According to the Bernoulli principle, the increase in air velocity occurs simultaneously with the decrease in pressure, allowing the external atmospheric pressure to collapse the upper airway further with inspiration, leading to strider. So what would make a pulmonary source likely in this patient? The history of a productive cough, rhinorrhea, and contact with someone with a cold indicates that this patient had an upper respiratory infection initially. By the time the patient is brought to be evaluated, tachypnea and desaturations on pulse oximetry shows that his initial infection has proceeded to a lower airway disease. After narrowing the source to a pulmonary cause, you would want to differentiate whether it is an obstructive or restrictive disease. So with both inspection and auscultation, you would be able to differentiate between an obstructive and restrictive disease process. An obstructive disease process can be thought of as a disease of the airways or parenchyma that affects the amount of air that is exhaled. During the physical examination, an obstructive disease process would be noted to have expiratory wheezing or increased expiratory time. In severe and progressive obstructive airway disease, wheezing may be heard during both the inspiratory and expiratory limbs of the respiratory cycle. In a restrictive lung disease, inspiration is limited by reduced compliance of the lung parenchyma, abnormality of the chest wall, or weakness of the inspiratory muscles. During the physical exam, you can inspect the chest wall for skeletal conditions such as scoliosis or kyphosis. During auscultation, you can listen for decreased breath sounds in a particular lobe, noted in those with pneumonia, indicating a decrease in lung volume. Let's talk about another clinical pearl. A forced expiratory test can help distinguish between an obstructive and restrictive disease process. Forced expiratory volume, or FEV, is lower than forced vital capacity, which is FVC producing a low FEV to FVC ratio. In a restrictive disease process, both the FEV and FVC are low, so the FEV slash FVC ratio is normal or increased. Normally, the FEV is about 80% of the FVC. Lung compliance is equal to the change in volume divided by the change in pleural pressure. Of note, alveolar size and number continue to increase during childhood, so lung compliance also increases with age. The thorax in an infant and young child is more cartilaginous, making it more compliant. When an infant has respiratory distress, 
the chest readily retracts inward, making the increase in negative intrathoracic pressure ineffective and causing an increase in the tidal volume, which then prompts an increase in the work of breathing. So why is it important to know about the pattern of breathing, so the depth, the muscle use, retractions, inspiration to expiration ratio, and the rate of breathing in this patient? Knowing the pattern of breathing allows us to determine if the patient is able to maintain adequate minute ventilation and oxygenation when there is pulmonary compromise. If the patient has increased work of breathing and is still able to meet the demand of oxygenation, then the patient may be experiencing respiratory distress. If the demand of oxygenation is not met, there is concern for respiratory failure. On exam, signs of increased work of breathing include nasal flaring, tachypnea, and retractions, as seen in respiratory distress. Retractions include the use of subcostal, intercostal, and suprasternal muscles. Because of the limitation in inhalation experienced by those with restrictive lung disease, the depth of the breath will be more limited, and the inspiratory phase will be longer compared to someone with an obstructive disease process. Severe increases in the work of breathing pretend risk for fatigue and respiratory failure. Smaller anatomic conducting airways in children may produce high resistance if they become narrower due to inflammation, edema, mucus, or bronchospasm. Higher peripheral airway resistance may alter exhalation and cause dynamic closure of the airways. Another clinical pearl. Other anatomic differences of infants and small children that may contribute to a quick progression to respiratory failure due to the reduced thoracic volume include soft tissue retractions, rib alignment, position of the diaphragm, and immature intercostal muscles. The rib alignment of infants is on a more horizontal plane, and the position of the diaphragm is also more horizontal, which means that the lower thorax may be drawn inward during inspiration, contributing to a reduced inspiratory volume. The immature intercostal muscles are not able to assist in active ventilation, meaning that the infants depend more on diaphragmatic function. Let's get back to the case. On physical exam, the patient is noted to have nasal flaring, grunting, and difficulty in answering questions in full sentences. He is tachypnic with subcostal and subdiaphragmatic retractions. Auscultation demonstrates decreased breath sounds in the left lower lobe with crackles. He complains of abdominal pain in the left upper quadrant. So what is the significance of our physical exam findings? The patient's presentation further suggests that there is a lower respiratory tract infection. He not only appears ill overall, but he is also manifesting increased work of breathing. The auscultation exam reveals that there is decreased airflow and possibly of a consolidation in the left lower lobe. The patient's abdominal pain may be due to a referred pain because the lung and abdomen share the T9 dermatome. So here's another clinical pearl. Parietal pain is localized, sharp, and intense and travels through myelinated afferent fibers. This information is transmitted to a specific dorsal root ganglia of a dermatome level. This is different from visceral pain, which is usually dull and poorly localized. This type of information travels via unmyelinated fibers that can be transmitted to different dorsal root ganglia. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So what are our management priorities? 
Supportive care is very important initially. Providing the patient with oxygen is a priority to increase oxygenation and maintain saturations above 92 to 95%. If the patient is not able to maintain appropriate fluid intake, IV fluids may be indicated. So after physically assessing the patient, what laboratory tests would you like to consider? Lab tests may be needed in those who are hypoxic or in severe respiratory distress, unlike those who are stable and can be treated in an outpatient setting. This patient is hypoxic, appears ill, is in respiratory distress, and requires treatment in the inpatient setting. Laboratory tests include a CBC with diff, peripheral smear, and CRP level, which would help monitor response to treatment. A complete metabolic panel is needed to detect electrolyte abnormalities and blood cultures to detect concomitant bacteremia. Microbiologic diagnostic testing for suspicion of a lower respiratory tract infection includes blood cultures, gram staining, and culture of sputum. This is typically for older children who can produce a sputum sample, and also pleural fluid if present. Rapid diagnostic testing, such as immunofluorescence and a PCR assay is recommended for hospitalized patients for treatment and cohorting of decision-making. Rapid testing is required for certain microbes, including respiratory, syncytial virus, influenza, parainfluenza, adenovirus, human metanumovirus, and chlamydia and mycoplasma. The results of these rapid tests should be used with caution because differentiation among colonization and acute, mixed, or secondary infections may not be possible. Here's another clinical pearl. Indications for inpatient admission includes oxygen saturation less than 90%, tachypnea for age, so greater than 50 breaths per minute, physical exam findings such as respiratory distress with apnea, grunting, and difficulty breathing, signs of dehydration, inability to maintain hydration or oral intake, and a toxic appearance. Such a patient is suspected or confirmed to have infection with a virulent organism. Another clinical pearl. You can usually have an expectation of laboratory results, but be aware that it may be variable. You can expect an elevated white blood cell count, like leukocytosis, with a left shift, or neutrophil predominance, with bandemia on a CBC with diff. The CRP may also be elevated because it is an inflammatory marker. Positive blood cultures may be present if the patient is very ill. So what imaging modality would you order, and what results would you expect? A chest radiograph would be helpful in this case. The presence of infiltrates, along with fever and respiratory distress, confirms the diagnosis of pneumonia. However, if you still suspect pneumonia and there is no infiltrate on the chest radiograph, this does not necessarily rule out pneumonia because you have to consider that the findings on imaging may be delayed from the patient's clinical status. It is not uncommon for radiographic abnormalities to appear after IV fluid resuscitation in severely ill patients. Radiographs may also reveal non-pulmonary findings that may be helpful, including signs of cardiomegaly, presence of foreign bodies, and airway abnormalities. So let's go back to our patient. Laboratory testing shows leukocytosis with a left shift and elevated bands. Blood cultures were drawn and sent to the laboratory. The chest x-ray showed a left lower lobe infiltrate. The constellation of all these findings from the physical exam, laboratory tests, and x-ray confirmed suspicion for community-acquired pneumonia in our patient. He is admitted to our hospital for hypoxia, requiring oxygen supplementation. So what causative organisms should you consider for this patient? Infectious causes for pneumonia may be classified by age group. Because our patient is 10 years old, you will consider Staph aureus and Strapneumo pneumo as the most likely bacterial organisms, given the findings on chest x-ray. 
Keep in mind, however, that atypical organisms such as mycoplasma pneumoniae are more common in school-aged children. Other organisms include chlamydia pneumoniae and mycobacterium tuberculosis. Vaccines have played an important role in decreasing infections from Haemophilus influenzae type B. With the rise in antibiotic resistance, a presentation of a patient with a complicated pneumonia, so like a patient with an empyema, may have methicillin-resistant staph aureus or MRSA infection. What are some of the risk factors for developing pneumonia? Certain factors need to be considered when a child develops pneumonia. These include underlying medical conditions and socioeconomic and environmental factors. Some underlying medical conditions include asthma, neuromuscular disorders, immunodeficiency disorders, diabetes, and chronic lung disease. Examples of socioeconomic and environmental factors include poor access to healthcare, air pollution, and exposure to cigarette smoke. Let's briefly talk about the causative agents grouped by age of your patient. So, in neonates less than three weeks, you should always consider. Group B strep, E. coli, gram-negative bacilli, strep pneumo, homophilus influenza type B. In patients that are three weeks to three months of age, definitely consider RSV and other viruses like rhinovirus, parainfluenza, influenza, adenovirus, and then also strep pneumo, H. influenza type B, nine-typable, and chlamydia trachomatis. In patients four months to four years of age, Still consider RSV and other viruses, as we mentioned, and also mycoplasma pneumonia in group A strep. And then in patients greater than five years of age, always consider mycoplasma pneumonia, strep pneumonia, chlamydia pneumonia, and H influenza type B, non typable. And then a lot of those viruses like influenza and adenovirus. And then you can consider Legionella pneumonia at this age. So, how would you proceed with treatment? IV ampicillin was chosen for this patient. Third-generation cephalosporins are alternatives in non-vaccinated patients and those at high risk for organisms with resistance to penicillin. Azithromycin treats an atypical pneumonia. Vancomycin or clindamycin should be provided in addition to beta-lactam therapy if there is a concern for staph aureus infection. But as always, always consider regional susceptibility data. What other treatments adjuncts would you consider? Aside from supplemental oxygen, IV fluids, and antibiotics in a patient who is febrile or in pain, consideration can be given to an antipyretic such as acetaminophen that is weight appropriate, which may be 10 to 15 mg per kg. Let's talk about a clinical pearl. The lateral radiograph can be used along with the measurement of the rim of the fluid being less or more than 10 millimeters. The occupation of the effusion is also looked at, for example, whether the fluid occupies less than 25% or 50% of the hemithorax. A small effusion has less than a 10 millimeter rim of fluid with less than 25% of the hemithorax affected, meaning that there would be no need for chest tube drainage in this case. Another clinical pearl, complications of a lung abscess include intracavitary hemorrhage, septicemia, cerebral abscess, and inappropriate secretion of antidiuretic hormone. Back to our patient. After receiving oxygen, IV fluids, and IV antibiotics for two days, the patient's work of breathing decreased, his fever curve decreased, and he was able to answer questions comfortably. His pulse oximetry values were greater than 92%, and his supplemental oxygen requirement was titrated down to room air. He was started on a regular diet, which he tolerated with no bouts of emesis. So this patient was transitioned from IV antibiotics to oral antibiotics and was able to ambulate and maintain appropriate oxygen saturation levels on room air. 
The blood culture was sent was negative because the oral medications were effective and the patient was afebrile for 48 hours with an improved physical exam. He was discharged home with follow-up in one week with his pediatrician. So that concludes our case today. Again, my name is Nisa Fraser. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.